Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host, your guide, your outfitter on this adventure we call wing shooting and bird hunting and dog training towards the goals of having a good time in the great outdoors with our best friends, whether they have four feet, two feet, or one foot. Yeah, that's a story for another day. Looking forward to sharing a whole bunch of great information with you this time. We'll start uh, with uh, you and your colleagues in the bird hunting and bird dog world. We're going to talk a lot about some of your advice. I asked a question on Facebook recently. What will you never ever do again on a hunt? Well, the lessons learned by your fellows in the field may be of value to you this season. So get out your pen and paper and be prepared for some some fun, some laughs, and some forehead-slapping, eye-rolling stuff as well, starting with my own stories. We'll also have Scott Trulock of Trulock Chokes. Uh, he'll tell us how chokes impact our shooting. He'll offer up some shooting tips and uh, offer up some industry insights. This is an insider who's been around the block a few times. Get ready for that, among other things, including... Our Upland Nation glossary, we're on to the letter W, so uh, stand by for oh, a chance to learn something about the wing shooting world. Actually, that ought to be a W, wing shooting. It's not the one we're going to talk about, but it's another one out there. And a public access suggestion for you. If you haven't found your trip of the season yet, I've got an idea or two based on my own personal ground truthing. Well, if you hadn't, haven't heard him yet, that's Flick in the background. He's licking his paws because he's been out on the hot desert sand. Quick little training session at lunch today. And I noticed uh, one of the things that has been really interesting the last week or so, we've had three-digit temperatures for the last uh, six or seven days. And uh, the first thing he does when we're, um, when we're out during the middle of the day is he... Uh, heads for the shady spots and kind of stands there and waits until he thinks I'm going to ask him to do something. And I do, and he's doing better at it. We're working on steadiness and particularly stop to flush, which he's getting way and way better at every day. So uh, that's what we're up to. How about yourselves? Well, Daniel Kremers is working on steadiness with his short hair. And then Kent Smith, they're working on staying cool, but that's okay. Um, he's got a picture of his dog. Looks like a Springer from here. Uh, laying in front of the TV on a nice, cool hardwood floor. Um, Cole Robinson, I don't know if you're just trying to make us jealous or what. Those are prairie chickens on the tailgate and a short hair sitting next to it. Probably envious of um of the birds and uh, probably wanting to at least retrieve them again if not find them for the first time that's what you're up to these days on the training front if you want some motivation for the season maybe you would watch wing shooting usa on your television we're on every weekend on the outdoor american network they take over the um, outdoor programming block on 110 different local stations it's available 24-7 on Samsung Smart TVs and also every weekend on seven regional sports networks. So, as they say, check your local listings and uh, maybe we'll see you on the television set as well. 
The Upland Nation podcast is made possible by Roughland Performance Kennels, Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays, and Shooting School. Ringneck Nation of Huron, South Dakota, and hey, please take a look at FurFeathersFriends.com and consider taking someone hunting this season that maybe you need to get back in touch with. One of my favorite places is Mott, North Dakota. Kind of got there by accident the first time, but I've been back several times since, and I highly recommend them as a place to take advantage of the state's public land open to sportsmen program. Pheasants and sharptails are my new species in Mott. The sharpies will hang near the corn on high spots of grass that are tall enough to wave in the breeze. Now, sometimes you can't access the corn via that plots program, but the grassland just the other side of the road is open, and that's where I would start my search for sharptails. The occasional pheasant will be out there too early and late in the day. Certainly worth a look. Now, don't forget to stay out of the unharvested crops. There's a lot of sunflowers that get harvested late in the season. If you want more information on Mott, North Dakota, just the other side of Dickinson, one of those hot spots out there, go to gf.nd.gov plots. Now remember, non-residents are prohibited from hunting for the first seven days of the pheasant season on land owned by or administered through the plots program. Other than that, you can freelance just about anywhere in that area. Good luck to you, and maybe I'll see you there. Speaking of midvalleyclays.com, if you're shopping for a new gun, it's about the time to start narrowing down your search. If you're looking for an auto loader, what's important to you? Is it the weight, the ease of loading and unloading, reliability, stock adjustability? Browning's got a new one out there. It's called the Maxis 2. And it's something you ought to take a look at over at midvalleyclays.com. Yeah, in addition to the shooting school and every clay target game you want to play, they've got an incredible pro shop with a whole bunch of guns for sale, including some of the harder-to-find guns. And they also have a great relationship with some of the manufacturers. So if you can't find your gun anywhere else, give Dave Fiedler a call at midvalleyclays.com. Tell them what you're looking for. If it's a Browning Maxis II, they have them in stock. And if it isn't, well, maybe they can find it somewhere that you cannot find it. MidValleyClays.com Well, hindsight is always twenty twenty. That's the value in what we do when we share with others in the field and uh, on social media. And that's what we're going to do today. Having some great fun with some of your responses. I asked a question a while back. What will you never, ever do again on a hunt and why? And I only brought that up because I was going through some old pictures and I realized, well, first off, I, I yes, I have forgotten a shotgun on a hunting trip. I've also brought a brand new shotgun that I never tried before. And of course, it didn't fit me. And I only figured that out after the first frustrating day. 
There are just a couple of mine. You have quite a few as well, starting with my friend and wonderful woodcarver Lance Larson. He says no quail is worth hunting in an area with jumping choya cactus. My dog means more to me than a bird. And man, if you've ever been in the Southwest, you know what I mean. You know what he means. There is nothing worse than picking cactus quills out of a dog. It's not fun for anybody. In fact, you know the definition of good friend? No, not that he'll help you move. That he'll help you pull cactus quills out of your dog. Well, be safe out there, Lance, and stay cool. I know it's a little bit warm out there right now. Bruce Wondrak says he'll never take a shortcut through the cattails back to the truck. It got deep fast. Nothing like that sinking feeling, is there? I've never quite gone that far in, but I had a good buddy, actually. A week ago, we were fishing um, in a place I can't tell you about yet where he had to go in after half of his fly rod. Now, I'm not going to tell that whole story on a bird hunting podcast, but it was pretty darn funny, and I do have pictures, so someday, Dave, you will regret this. But um, he went in, and, you know, the water was a foot and a half deep, and the silt was three feet deep, and all of a sudden it was a lot more exciting than we thought it would be. John Hyde says he will always carry plenty of water in the first aid kit in the field with the dogs. It's a small price for me to hump that gear if it keeps me from harming my pup. Who's doing all the hard work? Yeah, John, I, I'm not going to argue that. I carry one for flick. As, I, I even carry one when we're exercising. We live in country that has everything from cheat grass and... Uh, sagebrush stobs to uh, Widowmaker uh, Ponderosa limbs and oh did I mention coyotes and cougars it's all out there and you know some of it we can deal with immediately on the spot if we have the right gear sometimes it's just as simple as a q-tip doing a lot of that these days I had to pull cheatgrass seeds out of both of Flick's eyes this morning after our morning run it's simple stuff like that. And if you, you're wondering what's on that list, go to finebirdhuntingspots.com. I have a whole list of stuff there. And then another list of uh, what I call 10 essentials. You can call it a survival kit if you want. But it's all there at finebirdhuntingspots.com. Hugh, Hugh Snyder says, Don't hunt the chuckers when they're going uphill. Go to the top and then hunt them side hill or going downhill. Absolutely, Hugh. You sound like you've learned that the hard way, but haven't we all? A lot easier said than done. We try to swing around, make a big wide circle, and maybe even get a little bit less of an incline when we're going up that way. And it does help because, of course, if you're a chucker hunter, you know this. If you're not, maybe you will be someday. The birds will run uphill getting away from you and your dog. And believe it or not, those birds can outrun your dog. So um, once they get to the top, they're going to fly back down again. And um, you're seldom going to have a decent shot at them during that process. But if you come to the top and work down, they don't have a whole lot of choices. And in fact, last year, quite often what we did was we side-heeled the whole time. And the top guy is about 20, 30 yards um, ahead of the bottom guy. So that way, whether you're chasing birds up the hill or they're running up the hill or they're flying back down, somebody's going to get a shot. 
and there's uh, somebody talking to me already on this. So uh, anyway, yeah, great comment, great comment. Ellis Hallmark says, never share exactly where you're going. And I understand that. Yeah, especially if it's a sensitive area. I will share lots of spots with certain people. We've had that discussion already. I understand everybody's got their own limits on that, which is okay. You can decide for yourself and uh, don't judge me and I won't judge you. Thomas Daly says, never hunt with anyone who asks my landowner friend if he can bring his family out there too sometime. Yeah, whatever happened to common courtesy? Well, it's not common anymore, is it? Common courtesy, uh, right up there with common sense. Not so much anymore. Yeah, now that goes hand in hand with Ellis Hallmark's point. Don't share with a guy like that. Oh, yeah. Miles Burdett says, um, I will never ever go through the aspen brambles after the leaves fall off. They're still hell to get through. Yeah, yeah, those little tight clumps. We have some in our backyard. Man, that is a pain. I know. Yeah, whether the leaves are on or off, that's for sure, Miles. Thanks. Marty Herbert says, I will never sleep overnight in a tent the night before opening day, especially. When the high was only in the 20s. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was uh, writing something for somebody about backpacking recently. And I remember my very first backpacking trip. I was about 10. We went up through Onion Valley. No, let's see. We went up, yeah, Onion Valley to Kearsarge Pass and over the top in the high Sierras. And I had one of those, you know, $19 surplus army sleeping bags and I shivered all night the whole next day when everybody else was catching golden trout I was trying to catch a nap that didn't even work very well either and speaking of fishing we just had this experience on that last trip over to Bishop California Wayne Johanningsmeyer hey I got it right on the first try Wayne yeah we all learned that the hard way walk through wet stinging nettles my jeans provided no protection after they got wet mm, there must be a physics issue in there i was doing all right i had a different i had a kind of a synthetic fabric wading pad on not a wading pad just a hunting pad actually now that i think about it it did fine on a certain branch of a certain river that you'll read about in fly fishing magazine sometime real soon Jim Brame, um, okay, has anybody out here not learned this? Party like a rock star the night before. Jim admits he's not a rock star. Anybody out there who admits otherwise is fooling themselves and nobody else. Allison Hardenberg, oh, come on. I will never take my husband. No explanation needed. Allison, maybe you two should see somebody about that, uh, but I understand. In fact, I rem when I was making Cast and Blast, you know, I used to ask every pro fly fishing guide, for example, right, what is the one thing you tell everybody you guide? And he, you know, to a person, they said the same, pretty much the same thing. Never, ever teach your spouse to fish. You ever tried that? If you can do that, or shoot, or hunt, or cook, or ride a bike, or anything else, for, drive a stick shift, back a trailer, 
We've all got one of those, I'm sure, unless we're the Brady Bunch. Jason Ivino says, do not, I, I will never ever not double check the gun I bought to make sure it matches the shells I bought. I know. My two favorite guns are different gauges. So every trip I bring twice as much ammo just in case I need it. Just in case. Frank Luke says, I will never ever listen to the partner that says, it's not that far. <laughs> Tom, that one's for you. You can take the top on that next chucker hunt, all right? Uh, Alan Smith will never hunt out of state with people you don't really know. I, you know, I haven't been in a lot of trouble over that because, you know, I've done that before, but only when, well, they were next to me at a RV park or something. I got to know them pretty well before the subject of hunting together ever came up. And, and I know, again, when we talked about who to take or how to take people or anything like that, uh, you know, the prevailing opinion is get to know them pretty darn well. As somebody once said in, in that discussion, if I wouldn't invite them to dinner, I probably wouldn't go hunting with them. Yeah, good point. Whoever said that, you deserve a gold medal. All right, here's a new one on me. I've never heard of this uh, soft stem bulrush. Nick Taylor says, I will never ever again walk through an acre of that stuff. Well, if it's anything like the cattails in South Dakota, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, you want leg cramps? Just try that for a little while. And finally, Andy Cordes says, I will never ever not keep aware and follow my instincts. Absolutely. In fact, I just finished a piece for Gundog, uh, their online uh, website. And one of the things I suggested in there is uh, trust your sixth sense. I was talking about uh, hunting in cougar country there, but, but it doesn't matter. It could be something as simple as, you know, I don't like the lay of the land right here. Or, you know, I don't like my dog getting that close to that cliff. Whatever it is, trust your instincts. Absolutely true. Hey, we got a lot more to go, including Scott Trulock, who will talk about choke tubes and how they can impact your shooting and hunting success. The Upland Nation Glossary, we're on the letter W. It's all coming up in just a moment or two. Uh, first off, let's talk about rufflandkennels.com. That's R-U-F-F-L-A-N-D-K-E-N-N-E-L-S, Ruff. Flick looks at me every time I say that when he's in the studio with me. Kind of occupied right now, working on his feet. But when he's not working on his feet in here, he might be riding in a Roughland kennel in the back of my pickup. You know, more dogs ride in a Roughland kennel than in any other performance kennel. There's a lot of reasons for that. Go to the website and see some of them for yourselves. One that I like a lot, believe me a lot no assembly required this music major has enough trouble i'm not allowed to use power tools but even a simple wrench is complicated for a guy like me and you don't need any tools to put your roughland kennel together no nuts no bolts nor attachments to fail and all of that means your dog is safer because there's nothing to come apart should you really need the protection of a performance 
dog great. Learn more about all of the reasons at RoughlandKennels.com. And my friends at the Ringneck Nation of Huron, South Dakota, invite you to visit them this season. I'll be there. They've got a Ringneck Festival and Bird Dog Challenge, 124,000 acres of public access, and they'll send you a free information packet with all the maps you need, discounts, information, the hunting atlas. It's all in there, and it's all free. Just go to HuntHuronSD.com. Hunt huronsd.com. Yeah, it's the site of our Fur Feathers Friends event this year. Learn more. Just go to huronsd.com. Always good to talk to the guy whose name is on the front door of the company, Scott Trulock from Trulock Chokes. Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Hey, Scott. How you doing? Appreciate you having me on. Well, I'm, I think we're going to get along just fine because your name and my name are, well, wait a minute. No, the first names only. Anyhow. Um, so let's start with something exciting. What's new and different over at True Lock Chokes these days? Well, for 2022, and this is a couple of months old now, but we've, we've finally gotten around to uh, launching... Uh, a bunch of sub-gauge chokes, 28s and 410s, which is, uh, uh, you know, that, that those two uh, gauges have really taken off uh, over the past year or two, um, mainly because of the advent of uh, this tungsten super shot. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of folks are, uh, are after these sub-gauge chokes because you don't need a 12-gauge choke anymore, uh, a 12-gauge gun to do the same thing uh, that you can do with a 410 or a 28. Obviously, much lighter, much much easier to tote around in the field. Um, so a lot of folks are moving to it. Well, I I got to attest to that. Last season, I hunted with nothing but a twenty eight, and that's for chuckers all over the West, and it did pretty darn good. Maybe it was the choke tubes. I'm not sure, <laughs> um, but you know that's the re- the reason we're talking today is. A lot of folks, and it was just reminded to me again yesterday by a gun importer, a lot of people don't understand how chucks chokes affect our shooting success. Can you kind of give me an overview of how that works? <coughs> Excuse me. Well, uh, you know, if, if, if you never pattern your gun, then you don't know what your chokes are doing to begin with, right? So uh, the best way to see how a choke tube can help you or hinder you um, is to put whatever choke and shell combination you're using on paper. Um, We generally do it at at 40 yards for everything from uh, IC uh, through extra full and turkey chokes. Uh, But if you, once you put your choke pattern on paper, uh, you'll actually see, you know, what that shell is doing downrange. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you've got a great pattern uh, at whatever range you're shooting, um, then, then you'll see it. If you've got a, a crappy pattern, uh, then you'll see that too. Uh, so so chokes, uh, you know, and, and you want to obviously gear your choke towards whatever sh- uh, size shot you're using and then the various types of shot that you may be using, and also the distances that you expect to 
uh, to be using it at. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if if you've got a a, a wide open pattern, say a, a skeet one uh, type pattern, uh, and you're trying to shoot at 40 yards, then then you're probably not going to have a lot of success. Um, uh, but you wouldn't know that until you actually pattern your gun to see what it's doing. Um, you know, it's uh, a lot of customers, we're, we always push, you know, no matter what we tell you or sell you, you know, all that matters is how it's going to do with your setup. Uh, so you need to go pattern your gun, and that's something we continue to push. Uh, you know, don't take our word for it. You know, most of the time we're right, but, you know, you won't know that until you do it yourself. You know, so here's the argument, and this is a, this is a classic. You probably get this at least once a day. Well, my gun came with choke tubes. Why should I spend whatever amount it is on true lock choke tubes in addition to that? What is the fundamental difference between a aftermarket choke tube and the ones that come with the come from the factory? Well, Scott, as 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 nice uh, as some of these guns that are on the market today are, and as reliable as they are, uh, as much fun as they are to shoot, uh, gun manufacturers, for the most part, their focus is on the gun, um, and the choke tube uh, tends to be an afterthought in a lot of instances. Um, and, you know, sometimes I swear they they just find whatever's rolling around in a drawer some days and stick it in there. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it, I've seen some. I've seen some some really nice factory choke tubes, and I've also seen some uh, that weren't worth the steel they were machined from. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, if if you want a a, a good quality choke, um, you do want a good quality choke. Uh, let me put it that way. And and uh, you need to look no further than True Lock to find one. Um, but. You know, we hold our chokes to uh, plus or minus a thousandths tolerance uh, on the bore, on the exit diameter. Um, actually, that that's across the board on all of our tolerances. Uh, and, and I've seen some some factory tubes that will mark, you know, skeet, IC mod, whatever, uh, and they may be uh, five ten thousandths off from what the industry standard is considered for that given constriction. Uh, so it's important to have a good quality choke. You're going to, uh, 99% of the time, you're going to get a, a much better pattern, um, with an aftermarket choke from true lot. Now, now I, I get it. And I know a little bit more than some people, but not near as much as most people in that regard, but a good choke is going to result in describe a great pattern to me. <clears throat> so for what, what, the pattern you're looking for is uh, at whatever distance you're shooting, um, you're looking for a, a minimum of 75%, uh, 70-75% of your total payload within a 30-inch circle at whatever distance you're shooting at. Um, and if you're not getting that, then then you're you're only hindering yourself. You know, you know you're, you're leaving more holes for the game to get to get through uh, whatever you you know whatever you may be shooting at. Um, a, a good aftermarket choke will give you a much more consistently evenly spaced 
pallet, uh, pellet dispersion. Yeah. Um, you, you don't want holes big enough for, again, whatever your game is. You don't want a hole big enough for that game to get through without taking several hits, at least several hits uh, from your shot shell. Um, so, so pellet dispersion and a good uniform, evenly distributed pattern uh, is what you want. Uh, and also percentage, you know, if, if uh, you might, <laughs> I'm exaggerating obviously, but you know, if, if you've got five or six evenly dis- displaced, dispersed pellets in a 30 inch circle, then obviously that ain't getting you nowhere. Um, so usually 75% minimum is what we consider a good pattern with no holes big enough for your game to get through. You know, I'm working on a video now on this very topic and I'm going to, I think I'm going to make a cutout of a quail and I'm going to lay it over the pattern in places and see if there are any holes. Um, I don't think many people will go to that trouble, but that's the whole point. Um, very well explained. Thanks. And that's exactly what I was looking for. Now, how about you guys? Is there any, uh, your customer service people must get the same question all day, every day. Is there any trending there? What's the biggest misconception? As far as chokes, pattern density, um, <laughs> Are, are they always look, are they always, what are their expectations and, and are they, you know, are they different well, the, than we, we expect? Uh, probably the biggest misconception is that, uh, you know, I've got a choke in my gun. I've got shells in my gun. I don't need to do anything else except for pull yeah. the trigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, uh, and that goes back to, you know, you've got to pattern your gun. You know, if you change, if you change anything about your setup, you're switching from shell A to shell B. Uh, you know, shot size A to shot size B. Whatever, um, all of that can affect your pattern. Um, so, so that's that really is the biggest uh, problem uh, when it comes to choke tubes. Is folks just think because all right, I've got one in there. Let's go hunting. Um, you know, how many times do you, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's still folks that do it, but, uh, you know, deer hunters, um, they don't uh, typically don't go buy a rifle, slap a scope on it, throw some cartridges in it, and go to the deer stand. Nope. Mm-hmm. They go to the range first, and they try out various loads with their rifle uh, to see which one's shooting the best you know what can i get the best uh uh the the best um results with yeah um and and folks just don't think the same way when it comes to shotguns and chokes uh but it is absolutely the same um anything you change can affect your pattern yeah so true and and the only way to figure that out is get some range time in uh, you're it. listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, the host. That's Scott Trulock. Yeah, the company is called Trulock Chokes. Learn more about them at trulockchokes.com. T-R-U-L-O-C-K, chokes.com. Um, 
you guys have been investing in technology uh, and whatever else you want to call all those machines. I'm just a music major. I know they got to, you know, do something pretty cool. What's the coolest part about that stuff that you guys are working on right now? Uh, well, m- machine tools have come a, a long, long way uh, over the, even the past 20 years. Um, we won't even go back any, any further than that. But uh, these things are, are so accurate. Um, you know, you push a button. Once it's set up, correctly set up, you, you know, push a button, and this thing just starts making choke tubes um, that would, would, would very little operator uh, involvement um, except for tool changes and things like that uh, you know the machines we invest in are, are on the higher end uh, very good quality machine tools um, that allows us to make uh, extremely precise choke tubes uh, all day long day in day out uh, and you know the operator basically just is there just to ensure that it's making what it's supposed to be making. Um, uh, so, so the days of, of having to manually adjust this and that and continuously tweak, uh, they're pretty much gone. Um, machine tools are way smarter than I am. Uh, and they never ask for time off. Nope, that's true. Uh, as long as we got, uh, as long as we got electricity, we can continue making choke tubes. Is the industry being driven by the whole non-toxic ammunition thing these days? I don't think so. I, I, I don't. Um, you know, obviously it is in, uh, in some states where they don't have a choice. But, <clears throat> but uh, you know, as a whole, you know, most customers are just, you know, buying the same lead loads that they've been doing for years, uh-huh. um, been buying for years. Um uh except for waterfowl obviously where where it's you know you can't but um non-tox is a is a is a big deal um and it's not a bad thing it's just an expensive thing um and it generally patterns better than steel shot uh it's just you know most of the time it, it costs more uh so everybody you know everybody i've ever known uh has has always been you know what i want to pay for something that that's not gonna do any better than this old lead load uh when i can do the same thing with a, with a much less expensive shot shell now the, the one exception i've seen to that um uh is, is uh turkey hunters um you know they will spend the money on uh especially TSS turkey loads. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, people have been killing turkey for a long time with lead loads. Um, but this TSS has, has kind of grabbed everybody uh, and, and, and made them look at it a different way because it patterns so unbelievably well. Well, that's what we're after, and that's what you're after, too, at Trulock Chokes. That's Scott Trulock. Yeah. One of the True Locks at the company named True Lock Chokes. Learn more at truelockchokes.com. Scott, great to talk with you. We'll be talking again real soon, I'm sure. Thanks for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast. All right, Scott, I appreciate it.
right, well, we've still got the Upland Nation glossary. We're up to the letter W, but uh, first a quick message. Do everybody a favor. My friends at Pheasant Bonanza in Tecama, Nebraska have put together a, an organization that I really like. It's called CAMO, K9, that's with a K, K-9, Adoption and Mentoring Outdoors. It's all about ensuring that older hunting dogs have lifelong homes with people who love them. CAMO is the name of the organization, and they're doing their first big fundraiser this year. If you want to learn more about that, then just go to camoinc.org. That's camoinc.org slash bird dash bounty. That's the name of the event, Bird Bounty. It's the Burt County Bird Bounty, and it will be raising funds for Camo and a few other worthy groups. It takes place November 3rd through 6th. Learn more at Camo, K-A-M-O-I-N-C dot org. Well, we're up to the letter W, and... Uh, this is one that I've had, I gotta admit, I learned something when I when I dug this up out of my own glossary. It'd been so long ago that I wrote it. W for Wachtelhund. That's W-A-C-H-T-E-L-H-U-N-D. Yeah, it's German. It's a spaniel originally bred to hunt quail. The modern Deutscher Wachtelhund was developed around 1890 related to the small Munsterlander and the Drenz Partrichhund, all of which descend from the quail dog that was developed first in the 15th century. If you've ever seen one of these dogs, it's easy to understand how they might be you know, confused with a whole bunch of other breeds. About 45 pounds, up to 60 pounds for some of the big males. They look like a kind of a, a sturdier setter, English setter, Lots of browns, lots of multicolors, lots of ticking and spotting, but more spaniel-like in their posture and their conformation. So if you ever see one of those and you're looking to be as smart as the next guy, you're probably narrowing it down to a small Munsterlander or the Wachtelhund. There's your W, and we'll be saying goodbye to the Upland Nation Glossary with that entry because there just aren't enough others. But I've got something fun in store for you coming up next week on the Upland Nation Podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Thanks for joining me. If you would, please, do visit FurFeathersFriends.com and learn more about how we're trying to get you out there with somebody you haven't been in touch with lately. Take an old friend, maybe a spouse, a family member, a neighbor, somebody who needs to go hunting and you need to get to know better and vice versa. It's all about fellowship and camaraderie in the field for FeathersFriends.com. Now I'll say thanks to Scott Trulock for being a part of the discussion here this week. To all of you who contributed to the online discussion, sure appreciate that. Uh, do appreciate it when you leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. And the entire kit and caboodle is made possible by Roughland Performance Kennels, Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays, 
ringneck nation of Huron, South Dakota, and for feathersfriends.com. I'm Scott Linden. Until I see you next week here at the Upland Nation podcast, hope to see you out at the range. Thanks for listening.